Psalm 139, beginning with verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. You have spoken to us. You have seen fit to not only record it, but have it preserved so that we here on this day would be able to hear from you. And so we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our lives to you that you would teach us, that you would lead us, that you would mold us to always have our hearts more in conformity to you. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we will return to our our series uh, on the book of Proverbs next week. If you're visiting with us, we have been going through various themes in Proverbs, and uh, we will uh, be back in that uh, book next week. But today we are celebrating Sanctity of Life Sunday. And uh, the reason it's today, or some churches... Uh, celebrated it last Sunday, is that since 1973, churches have, uh, on uh, one of these two Sundays, usually the one closest to January 22nd, uh, focused on what God's Word says about life, and particularly the, the beginnings of life. The reason... This is the date that churches do that, is that on January 22nd in 1973, the Supreme Court of our land made a ruling. And in that ruling, it made it so that abortion on demand was legal in all 50 states. Since that time, it's estimated that some 50 million 
babies have had their lives terminated before their birth. That number is overwhelming to me. And even though in, in recent years uh, the, the number has lessened on a per year basis, it is still essential for we who believe in the Creator and in the Word of God to be firm in what we believe, to listen again and again to God's word on this issue, because we do live in a world and a country and an education system that is saying quite the opposite of what the word of God says. We live in a world that typically distinguishes only between before birth and after birth. And some would say, well, we don't really know when life begins, and that's even part of some's justification for abortion, saying we don't know when. but we believe God has spoken clearly. And even if one doesn't want to listen to God's word, it would seem that if you don't know when life begins, you would err on the side of life rather than err on the side of death. Some would say to me, well, you're, you're a pastor and you're a man, you don't really understand how difficult of an issue this is for a woman. And I would quickly say, I can't see it from perhaps that perspective. But let me tell you of just three situations that I have encountered of women who sat in my office weeping in turmoil over this issue. And all of these were in a previous churches that I have served, not here. A teenage girl in our church had gone to a party. She got drunk and she was raped, and she sat in my office. She was a, couldn't even tell her parents. She was afraid that she was pregnant, and she had already made up her mind that if she was, she would have an abortion, even though she knew it was wrong. Another woman in the church was married to an alcoholic and abusive husband. They had three children that he was not providing for. 
And she became pregnant. And she had an abortion. And she was dealing with the guilt from that several years later. Another one, a mother came to me because she was experiencing guilt because she assisted her unwed daughter in procuring an abortion where they literally terminated her grandchild. I could tell you, sadly, many more of those stories. And I could tell you of those who have been in my office, but I also know that for every one I knew of, there were others dealing with it, and there still are. It's heart-wrenching, it is complicated, it is not an easy decision for anyone that deals with it. So before I go any farther, I want to begin this message on the, the sanctity of life the way I usually end messages on that, and I want to speak specifically to any of you, those of you who have been involved in abortion in any way. I've been speaking on this issue inside and outside of churches now for almost 40 years, but every time I have spoken Virtually every time, and certainly every time when it's been uh, in churches or in groups of any size, there has been one or more, and usually multiple people in that group that has been involved in one way or another. Either they had had an abortion, or they had encouraged one, or they had remained silent when they could have spoken up. And so I know these messages are hard to hear when that's the case. And so if you're here and that is the case in your life, I want to emphasize to you that you have not committed the unpardonable sin. That what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient to deal with the guilt that you are dealing with or you should be dealing with. There is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And he is the answer to those guilt feelings. There is grace for you if you find yourself 
in that position and you can believe that. So let's see what God's word has to say. And here's the reason why we're going to the scripture. The reason is because there's all kinds of arguments out there. I've listened to them. And some of them are quite compelling in terms of those that would speak for abortion. But as compelling as any of them may be, as emotional as they may be, the Word of God has more weight than any human argument because God is the creator and only he can tell us when life begins and the value and the sanctity of life. So first of all, God considers babies human from the moment of conception. The moment of conception. Psalm 51, verse 5. And we're going to be going through a lot of verses there. They're in your outline so you can, if, if you don't have time to turn to them before I read them to you, because we have a lot to go over Um, you can look them up later. Psalm 51 verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So here's the thing. It's not saying that, that conception is a sin. What it's saying is that, that the moment I was conceived, I was a part of this human race. And I had sin. You know what that means? If you have sin, that means you have a soul. And if you have a soul, then you are human. We read in Psalm 139, and sometimes we read the scripture and and you're you're not in tune with where we're going with that, so I want to take you back to that, verse 13. Here's what... What he says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Speaking to God. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in in the secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. That's the mother's womb again. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Okay, so here he's saying, you, God, before I was even formed, you saw, but not only that, in your book were written uh, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet none of, uh, there was none of them. So here's the point. Before we're even formed, as God is forming the baby, all the days of our life are already written by him. He is our creator and he is involved in that degree. Now, we've got to take that by faith. We can't do it by sight. Uh, I recall at one point I was asked to speak at a 
um, a school about these issues. And I took with me uh, some, some pictures, certainly not of a, a abortion, of, uh, pictures of a developing baby. And it was a spectrum of them. And on one end was uh, uh, the fertilized egg, the, the conceived baby. And on the other end was one that was uh, born and then right before the baby was born. I said, now, if you're looking at these pictures, and these children were old enough, these were scientific pictures. If you're looking at these pictures, when do you think this becomes a, a human baby? And, you know, everybody had different ideas, but, but not many of them pointed down to uh, uh, the, the uh, fertilized egg or the very early pictures. Most of them were down on this end when, when you could see the, how developed they were. And that tends to be how we are, not just children, but how we are. And that's why it, it, we, we can't go by sight. We can't say, well, they're human when they look human from my eyes. We have to say, okay, well, let's, Let's talk to the great physician, the creator, and let him tell us when they're human. And then we have to decide, will we believe him or will we believe our own definition? If we believe him, we are human from the moment of conception. Now, along with that, we need to understand that, that God, remember I said that in our society that uh, we just talk about before birth and after birth typically? Well, that's not how God even looks at it. In fact, he doesn't distinguish between the prenatal, before birth, and the postnatal, after birth. Here's how we can know that. I want to give you one example in the Old Testament and one example in the New Testament by using uh, the word that he uses for a, a baby. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is yeled. And in Exodus 21, this is prenatal. It says, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her Children, that word there is that Hebrew word, come out, but there's no harm. The one who hit her shall surely be fined, and so on. So what he's done is he has used this word for a baby before it's born. Then, in that same chapter, Exodus 21, he says this in verse 4. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out alone. It's the exact same word that is used before the baby is born and after the baby is born. God doesn't make that kind of a distinction that we do naturally. In the New Testament, we see the same thing. 
uh, using the Greek word brephos. Luke 1, verse 41, it says, When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. That's that Greek word. The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a, a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. This was when uh, she and Mary saw each other, and evidently Jesus and John the baptizer met each other as well, okay? Now, in Acts chapter 7, it says, he, verse 19, he dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expo expose their infants. And that word there is the exact same word. So here's the point, if, if you didn't follow that. The point is that, that God doesn't look at it like we do. He even uses the same word for before the baby is born and after the baby is born because he doesn't make the distinction that we tend to make. But here's another thing we need to understand still with the same point, and that is that God works in babies even before birth. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Do you see what Jeremiah is saying? Before I was even formed, he knew me. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Did he look like a prophet to the nations? No. He was a prophet to the nations because God the creator said he was. God doesn't make a distinction before and after birth. They are his. Now, let's go further. All humans have value from God himself. First of all, humans are distinct from the rest of creation. That seems so obvious, but all we have to do is, is look around in, in our world and we see so often those that would have more respect for things of nature and animals than they have for the unborn. So we read in Matthew chapter 12, verse 11, it says, He said to them, Which one of you has a sheep? And if he falls, this was a Sabbath controversy. He falls into the pit on the Sabbath. Will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? It seems obvious, right? God declares that is the case. We see in Matthew chapter 6, verse 30, but if God so clothes the, gra clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown into the, the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Here he's saying, you, you know, look how God takes care of his world but you are so much more valuable than those things. If he takes care of that, how much more will he take care of you? 
And then in Mark 8, verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? And that's the difference right there. Humans have souls given to them by God. And that leads us to the next aspect, and that is the value of mankind is as image bearers of God. So we have a soul, and our value is because we bear his image. In Genesis chapter 9, it says this, Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And then in James, I'm just giving you one Old and one New Testament. James 3, verse 9. With it we bless our Lord, is talking about the tongue, and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. What it's saying is you can't treat them that way because they're image bearers of God. That should have an effect on us. Now this is contrary, again, to what's being taught in our world. We tend to hear phrases like quality of life in terms of whether that life is valuable, productivity, would they be contributing members of society, enjoyment of life, suffering. But God indicates that the value of man is as an image bearer of God himself. When do you give up being an image bearer? Is it when we get sick? Do you quit being an image bearer when you're less productive in the world? Or when we're suffering or no longer enjoying life? The real question is, how long does life retain its value? And God's, God's answer is that life is inherently sacred and has value as long as it bears God's image. And that's from the moment of conception to the moment of death. That's it. In some ways... I'm not saying it's, a, it's an easy issue, but it is clear-cut from God's perspective. So I want to spend a few minutes applying this. And if you're following the outline, you may be surprised with the, the first application where it says righteous anger. And by the way, next week in Proverbs, we're talking about anger. So I'll know that if you're here this week and you're not here next week, you probably have a problem with anger and you, you didn't want to be confronted by it, so you, you need to be here next week. But we'll clarify some of that. But here's what I want to say about the idea of a righteous anger for today. because Christians make a mistake in this area often. Our anger should not be at the people 
who are involved with abortion. Our anger should not be at those who have had abortions and even doctors who perform it. That's not where our anger should be. It should be at the fallen world that we live in. What would we expect in a fallen world except that people would not respect life? So be careful. Don't get caught up in anger at at politicians that are involved in this or family members or others. Don't, Don't let that be where your anger is aimed. In 1973, when abortion was legalized, there was a a warning by some that this is a slippery slope, that this is is going to uh, take a step against life, and that slope, if we don't stop it, will lead to things like infanticide, the killing of children, and euthanasia. Those who said it back then were ridiculed. They were told they were crazy. It will never get to that. But here we are less than 50 years later, And we have a governor of a state here in the United States that publicly said, here's what we will do when an abortion fails. We will deliver the baby, and then we will decide what to do. That's infanticide, the killing of infants. He got away with it. And he's still the governor. He may be reelected. Others will follow. Righteous anger should never be the end product. If it is truly righteous anger, it should lead us to compassionate actions. If it's righteous anger, if it's not righteous anger, it'll just be anger for anger's sake. And we'll just be known as a bunch of angry people. But it should lead us to compassionate actions. Caring for those who are in need that cannot help themselves. In our context, it may be the unwed mother seeking help. It may be the baby in her mother's womb that cannot speak for herself. It may be the elderly who can no longer produce for society and can't justify her own life. It may be those who would be born with deformities and society says, don't bring them into the world. It may be those with diseases like AIDS that need care. These are the least of these, but these are image bearers of God 
They are Jesus among us. And that is the mark of the people of God. Where Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So we should have a boldness and a mercy. I want to apply it another way that fits with this week. I believe that that God is somehow leading St. Andrews to a ministry to those with special needs and disabilities. Now, we've had those among us, and our church has shown amazing kindness and love toward those in that situation. But I believe God is leading us further. And I don't know what that's going to look like. I'm not here presenting a vision for that other than I believe God is doing that and others on our staff believe it as well. It was mentioned earlier, next Saturday, February 1st, we're having a, um, a workshop here that we are hosting called Engaging Disabilities. We had an interest meeting about those who uh, are at least interested in exploring whether we as a church can have further ministry, and we had a great response for that. And so if God is speaking to your heart in that area, these who the, the world tends to say, they're, they're, they're not useful in our world, but God says, oh, wait a minute, those are image bearers of me. I've put them among you. And so we're going to explore where would God lead us in this? If you're interested, there's information about that. And then thirdly, by way of application, once again, I want to go back to the forgiveness in Christ. Because I know that that for some of you, this has been really hard to hear. It's brought thoughts and memories maybe into your mind that you hadn't thought of in a while or preferred not to. Again, I would just simply say, there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ and that's the good news of the gospel. And then another application, and that is when the test comes for you, trust in God. I don't know what that test will be. Let me tell you about one man that I was in seminary with. His name is Craig Vick. Craig uh, was about a year behind me in seminary. And he had a severely deformed body. He was, uh, some of you will know this term, he was what they called a thalidomide baby. So he was born without arms right below his elbow, born with only one leg, stood maybe this tall. 
When I first saw him, I found him hard to look at. I'm not proud of that. I'm just telling you. And then he sat down by me one day in chapel. You know, that was the empty seat. That was God giving me a a wonderful gift. Because the first thing I heard was his amazing singing voice. And then he had a cold or something because I remember uh, he was able to somehow reach into his pockets, blow his nose, and, and put, it, put his uh, handkerchief back in his pocket. And then, and, and I thought, well, that's amazing. He's just like me. And then, and then I saw him writing with those parts. He took notes. He later became uh, an ordained minister in our denomination, still is. He's married, children. When Craig was born, this is his testimony, because he used to get asked, especially back then, what do you think about when people say that those who you know, shouldn't bring babies into the world if they're that severely malformed. And he spoke eloquently about it, but, but here's what he said. He said, you know what? When I was born, my father said, this one will need our love more. That should be our response. He didn't know he would turn into a productive human being. And that should be our response as well. We have to answer in our own heart whether we will stand for the life of the least of these Let's ask God to to give us a love of this truth, compassion for those who cannot speak for themselves, compassion for those who cannot defend themselves, and a love for Jesus to do so. Let's bow together. Lord, for, for the times that we've been prayerless about the evils of abortion, will you forgive us? For the times maybe even we have, we've marched in a pro-life march and felt better but did little the rest of the year to protect the unborn. For the times we've voted for our own comfort or gain but ignored that the one that we vote for that would help us ignored that he doesn't stand for the unborn. Will you forgive us? For the times we've looked away from the handicapped or the deformed and thus unwittingly treated them as less than image bearers of God. 
for the times we've not supported those who adopt or do foster care, for the times we've made our comfort zone the limit of our commitment. Will you forgive us, Lord? Give us strength to stand and to speak and to sacrifice because you love life. Give us a a love that compels us to action and give us the ability in all these instances to say and really believe this one will need our love more. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.